Hey there, folks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. I am your host, Emily. For those of you who have been listening for the past few months, thanks for being here. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome. The podcast, E Pluribus Unum, is based upon what the title says, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. We are a nation of diverse people in so many ways, diverse cultures and ages and belief systems and ways of looking at the world. And I do think unity is important, true unity. And I think true unity only comes from finding similar goals, working towards them. I think the most unifying thing should be Torah, or at least ethical monotheism. Full disclosure for everyone, I am Jewish, so I approach things, and on this podcast, we approach things from a Torah perspective. Keeping in the Jewish tradition, there is no need. It's never written anywhere that people need to be Jewish to be good. So this podcast is not about trying to convert people to Judaism. It's just about teaching what the Torah has to say to us about being good people, good neighbors, good parents, good friends, ethical shopkeepers, ethical shoppers. And we also talk some culture and some politics, ideas and things that we can work on. And when I say we, I really mean it because I am obviously not a perfect person. I have so many things to work on. I started this podcast because I thought that maybe by working on things and talking them through, it would help me and it would also it would also help the listeners that we can work on things together because it's not always so easy to be a good person and it's not always easy to be kind or to not gossip or do the right thing. So we can learn together. So hopefully that explains what the podcast is about and hopefully you'll stick around for the rest of the episode because I have something in my mind that it actually is one of the one other th- theme or big idea of this podcast, which I didn't mention, but I'm about to. So one other reason why I started this podcast was to explain the conservative viewpoint, because there are people out there explaining the conservative or traditional liberal viewpoint, whatever term you want to use. I recently learned that conservative, the term conservative wasn't created by conservatives. It was created by the other side. So now I'm a little bit more hesitant to use the term conservative because I don't know if it's the most accurate description of my politics and the group of people that I align with with politics. But it's a term most people are familiar with, so it is the one that I will stick to for now. But I think a lot of people just don't even know where conservatives come from, either because they don't choose to know or because they've been told lies and untruths about what the conservative viewpoint is and can't have productive discussions if you don't even understand the position of the person that you're arguing with or discussing a question with. You both have to understand and have like true empathy for the other side to be able to come to some sort of conclusion. Even if that conclusion is agree to disagree, you can only agree to disagree with someone who you respect. If you don't respect them, you're not going to agree to disagree. You're going to keep on talking until they agree with you or until you're not friends anymore which seems to be happening a lot. People are just losing friends and family, which is really not what politics should do to us. Like if you are in a relationship or have friends where it's getting to the point that politics is going to tear you apart, stop discussing politics. I know it feels like politics is everything and it's worth it to not be friends or close to your family because of something like that, but it's 
not put it aside and talk about something else. So clarifying the conservative viewpoint is really important to me because I and most of my family members and friends are conservatives and they're good people and they're kind people and generous and funny and they also have the normal human flaws, selfishness and sarcasm and laziness. You know, we're all just humans. We have good sides and our bad sides and I care about those people and I want people to understand that they are good too, even if their politics might be different. And I've really been thinking about this recently because, well, because if you've been paying attention, you'll already be familiar with this story. But if you're new, a few weeks ago, I posted something on Instagram and I got some really nasty comments back. And what really struck me at the time and has been continuing to bother me is that they questioned my motives and mostly they questioned my belief in God. That bothered me. You can call me names and you can tell me that I'm wrong, but don't tell me what I think or believe. That is really annoying. It's really annoying because you don't know me. You're some random stranger on the internet. You don't know me. And it's the same thing when people on either side, the political aisle, question the motives of the other side. It's really annoying and it's wrong. And I don't think we should do it. Now, to clarify... I think it's a little bit different when we're talking about politicians specifically, because we're allowed to vent about our politicians, especially at home. I'm not talking about on social media. Leave politics away from social media. Just stop right now. Don't do it. But at home, you know, if we're talking about Joe Biden or President Trump, and you want to say, oh, that guy is a menace and they just want power, I think that's fine. Because you're probably never going to meet the president. But when you're talking about your neighbor or your friend, or your family member, and you say bad things about them, or call them names, that's problematic, because now not only are you going to think about that person in a negative way, but if you're gossiping about them, the other person that you're talking to is now also going to think about that person, and probably act towards them in not a great way. I guess this is a little bit a discussion on gossip, which is on my mind because of a book I'm reading, which I will get to at the end of the episode. And I really wanted to get into this questioning of motives. So on the right, it is pretty usual that we'll call people on the left stupid or misguided or brainwashed or ignorant, which are all not really nice things to call someone. You've heard of libtard, you know, that term, which is not one that I've ever used myself, but it's one that people have heard of. So that's that's questioning where the left is coming from. It's not taking them at their word that they believe in the things they do. It's saying that they've been so tricked by politicians or they don't have the mental capacity to come up with their own ideas. On the left, they call the right racist, homophobic. They say that people on the right hate children, that they hate women, that they're anti-science, anti-immigrant, all sorts of negative things. So it does happen on both sides. And even though this is a podcast from a conservative standpoint, because I try to avoid politics, I say try, I know it doesn't always happen. This is not a conservatives are better than liberals type thing. This is about some of the things that come up in discussions about politics and how we as humans can be better, not necessarily as humans from a particular political standpoint. However, in this particular case, I am going to focus on not so much why the left is bad, but why the right is good, because we like to focus on positivity here. Just to be clear, though, I do, this is going to be one little knock against the left. I do think it's way worse that they call people racist or homophobic 
or anti-woman or anti-child than it is for the right to call the left stupid. They're both mean, and I wouldn't want to call a friend or a family member either of those things, but to be stupid or brainwashed is a fault, but to be racist or homophobic is immoral and wrong. So to ascribe stupidity to a group is mean, but to ascribe morality to a group is wrong itself because now you are denigrating the the character of the people that you're talking about. And when you denigrate the character of the people you talk about, it makes it a lot easier for their ideas to be dismissed. One of the big problems here is that the left just dismisses what the right says or thinks. They don't even give themselves the opportunity to engage with the arguments. And I do mean give themselves the opportunity to engage. We learn so much by reading and listening to and talking to people who disagree with us. If we only listen and read to people who already think the way we do, we don't expand our minds. We really do ourselves a disservice by cutting ourselves off from people who have different views on anything. Think about your friend who is really into horror movies and convinced you to watch something that you never would have watched because you hate horror movies, but they showed it to you and it was amazing. Or a friend who convinced you to try a new food or to go skydiving. We, we always enrich our lives by engaging with people who are different from us. This is something I try very hard to do. If I am talking about someone on the left, only term that I will allow myself to use is misguided because I assume that the average person on the left, and when I say the average person, I mean not a politician or not like a lobbyist or someone in power, because once we get to that level, people's motives do change to money or to power. And I do think that at that level, people probably are saying things that they don't believe just to get what they want. But when I'm talking about the people that I work with or friends or family members or neighbors or just fellow students, someone like that, I assume that they're good people who want good things, but that their way of going about it, their proposed solutions are misplaced. So misguided is the word that I will use. I don't think it's the same on the left. They ascribe negative motives to the right. And I'm going to go through just a handful, some that have been particular this year, but some that we've heard for years and years and kind of prove them wrong. These are all thoughts that I want to get into in more depth in future podcast episodes. But here it's a quick and dirty, here's a list, here's some basics. If you've ever wanted to know what do conservatives really think, this list is for you. So for instance, the left says that the right hates science or is anti-scientific or completely disregards science. We've especially heard that this year because some people on the right won't wear masks or have wanted to open up schools or just open up the country generally, or when it comes to, I guess, just sort of science in general, I think they just think we hate science when it comes to global warming, things like that. Here's the thing. On the right, we don't hate science. Science is great. There are a lot of scientific advancements that are wonderful. The reason the left thinks we hate science is because sometimes we question things. But here's the thing. Science, scientific knowledge, I should say, is always changing. So the right doesn't hate science. We actually love science and the scientific method a lot. We just don't want our lives to be dictated by the most recent scientific discovery because the most recent scientific discovery often changes the next day. And just think about food, right? 20 years ago, eggs were unhealthy for you and now eggs are great for you. So on the right, all we're saying is, look, scientists know as much as they know and that's it. So let's maybe not change our whole way of 
living and every policy and live as though their word is the Bible because their word's not the Bible and it could easily change tomorrow. That's science. Something else that's been big this year is that, oh, people on the right are murdering people because they won't wear masks or because they want to open up schools. Okay, we don't want people to die, but everything that we do has an effect. So if we're going to close down the economy, that's a choice, but a closed economy hurts everyone from employees to employers, closed schools, cause school children to be without their friends, to be without socializing and learning. And some students, it hurts even worse because they don't have a good framework at home. It's being stuck at home is causing a lot of people with depression and also drug and alcohol addictions to spiral. And there have been an increased number of suicides this year. So we don't want people to die because of COVID, but other bad things are happening. So can we weigh the, can we weigh the options and make a choice? Or can we just allow people to make their own choices? And if some people want to stay home and do grocery ordering for their own health and safety, fine. And then can some of us go back to work and live our lives and take the risks? That's all we're asking. We don't, we don't want to kill people. Sort of similarly, the left says that we hate the environment because of, because we won't go along with some certain policies about climate change. We don't hate the environment. We're not going to purposely litter We're not tearing down rainforests because we hate trees. We're not setting fire to things because we want it to burn to the ground. But we don't want to change everything for the sake of the environment in such a way that it will harm people's lives. First of all, back to the science thing, the scientific knowledge about climate change changes all the time. I was just reading a book and there was an economist back in 1862. His name was William Jevons. He wrote a book called The Coal Question in 1862, and in that book, he predicted the nation's supply of coal would soon run out, and it did not. He also stockpiled vast stores of writing and packing paper that 50 years after his death, it had still not all been used up by his family. So the science on the climate has been changing. In the 70s, they thought that the world was going to freeze, that there was going to be an another ice age. And then then there was global warming. The reason it's climate change instead of global warming is because scientists don't know and they keep on being changes, whether it's getting hotter or colder, it's not consistent. So we don't hate the environment. We just don't want to upend people's lives based upon science, scientific knowledge that could very easily change tomorrow. Supposedly, we hate women because we don't support abortion. People can't even fathom the possibility that when we say it's a child and we care about the child being born, they don't understand that we really mean that. Like we really truly believe or know, depending upon how someone talks about it, that is a baby in a mother's womb. And that baby should not be murdered, even if it is convenient to the mother. That baby deserves a chance at life. It has nothing, in fact, abortion from the conservative perspective has nothing to do with women. And it has only to do with the fact that that is a life, for many of us, a life created by God, but not for everyone. Some people are not God believers on the right, but it has everything to do with that is a baby that should be allowed to live. Supposedly, we hate immigrants. We do not like illegal immigration. That is true. But it has nothing to do with the immigrants. It has to do with the illegality. We are a country and we have laws. It is, from the conservative perspective, okay to, even if not limit, at least be aware of who's coming into the country. If there's no process, then we don't know who the people are that are coming in. Certainly, some vast majority of them are probably just people looking 
for a better chance at life. Absolutely. But within those numbers will be people who are criminals, will be people who haven't gotten vaccinated so can bring in diseases to the country, will be people who want to come here and won't contribute. So is it at least valid for us to know who's coming in and then also to make decisions about, yes, if you want to come to this country and join our culture and be an American, we would love to have you. But if you're going to come in and and you have a criminal record, maybe we don't want you. Also keep in mind that we have a lot of benefits from the government in this country. There are food stamps and welfare and other things, and that costs money. So if someone's going to come into the country and potentially then be a recipient of that, we need to know that they're also going to be able to contribute. So we don't hate immigrants. It has nothing to do with where the immigrants are from or what they look like. Furthermore, it really bothers a lot of people that some should be able to come into the country illegally when other people work really, really hard to get citizenship. And it's not easy to get citizenship in this country. That's something that can be talked about. Can there be a real legitimate path to citizenship that's easier, but not a snap of the finger necessarily? That's a, that's a discussion. Right now, we both have the same goal. We want to make it easier for immigrants to come in. Okay, well, we're not going to just let people come in willy-nilly, but we're also not going to close off the borders, no one. So now let's work on it together. But we don't hate immigrants. Um, supposedly we hate children because of school choice. This one I don't understand how school choice could possibly be construed as hating children, especially hating minority children, because school choice allows for parents and children to not be limited by their circumstances or their neighborhood in which they live, but to choose a school that is better for them. And also having more schools will increase competition and will then force public schools to do better because a lot of our public schools are not really doing so much for our students right now. So I don't even understand how the left spins this argument, but I can assure you that on the right, we do not hate children. And when we say we support school choice, we think that would be good for children. Like, really, really good. Obviously, we hate gay people because we oppose same-sex marriage, right? That's one you hear all the time. We don't hate gay people. We just think that marriage is, for many of us, and for many people, yes, it is a religious objection. So the argument about whether or not religious objections should be valid in law is a different discussion, but it is valid to have a religious objection to something. And for many people, it is a religious objection. We see marriage as a holy religious bond that comes from religion. And in our religions, it says one man and one woman, and it also says that homosexuality is an abomination. It's not going to affect how we treat gay people. Also, most people I know are fine with civil unions. It just has to do specifically with marriage because marriage is a religious term. That's all. We don't hate gay people. And even, by the way, thinking that something someone is doing is wrong doesn't mean you hate that person. I am not a parent, but I imagine there are many parents whose kids do not even big wrongs, just, you know, maybe they're brats. But you don't stop loving someone because they do something wrong. And I know people think that religious people are super judgmental because we have all these rules that we follow from the Torah or from the Bible. And some religious people are super judgmental, but let's be honest, a lot of non-religious people are super judgmental too. So it doesn't have to do with that per se. Yes, we have standards for how we think the world should work, but we also recognize that we're not God. We're, we're not the final arbiters. So we can suggest to people ways to act, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. 
that's a good way to act, we can suggest it. But it's not up to us to tell you ultimately whether or not you're right or wrong or what your punishment's going to be. That's up to God. So we don't hate gay people. Just don't think same-sex marriage should be, at the very least, we don't think it should be the law of the land. Let each state decide, and then people can go to the individual states to get married. Last, but of course certainly not least, people think conservatives are racist. And this one is convoluted too, because you're you're supposed to recognize someone's skin color and their struggle, but you're also not supposed to make any judgments about them based on that, but you're also supposed to give them preferential treatment, but you're also not supposed to ask people where their family came from just based on their skin color. So it's very confusing to not be racist these days because the term has changed. But let me tell you who's truly not racist. That is conservatives. When we say we don't care about someone's skin color, I cannot emphasize how much we do not care about someone's skin color. It's sort of like, I don't care what underwear you're wearing. Or maybe that's not as good because I can see your underwear. I don't care what shoes you're wearing. It doesn't tell me anything meaningful or substantial about you. I don't care what color your skin is. Conservatives really don't care about people's race. We care about how people act. This one, for some reason, is really hard for people to understand. And I think it's hard for people on the left to understand because race is super important to them where you're from and or where your family's from and sometimes where only like half of your family's from like a serious question here are we supposed to hate half of obama because his mother was white and his father is black and all white people are bad for some reason racism is absurd and conservatives when we say race does not matter and that we're colorblind we mean it like we mean it so much we mean it so much that we don't understand why people don't take us at our word we truly truly mean that. Those are just some of the major assumptions that the left makes about the right and and just aren't true. And it's too bad because, as I mentioned before, when we don't even engage with people from the other side and we just dismiss their arguments and call them names, we are limiting ourselves, what we get to learn and how our ideas get to grow. I don't know if there's a specific takeaway for anyone listening, but if there is a takeaway for anyone listening and for myself it's the reminder to and I think this applies also in personal relationships by the way as much as possible to take people at their word we can only know what people say and what they do we can actually never know what's in someone's heart even even the love of our life who says they love us ultimately they could be lying I mean it'd be weird to be married to someone for 50 years who says they love you and for them to be lying but potentially could happen all we know is what people say and what they do so let's pe- let's try to judge people by that or understand people by what they say and what they do and not try to ascribe motives to people because we will never know. We can't know. It's impossible to know truly another person's motive. Quickly, I want to move to one thing that was brought to my attention, and that is a new curriculum that is being proposed for K-12 in California, and it's this critical ethnic studies nonsense. There's already ethnic studies curriculum in California, but now there's this new thing called critical ethnic studies. And I would just urge everyone listening to visit the website calethstudies.org. That's C-A-L-E-T-H studies.org. They are one of the grassroots organizations trying to fight against or work against this new proposed curriculum. And they go into more detail about the current curriculum and then the proposed curriculum and then what their thoughts are. 
I will say that this is a grassroots organization that one of their, part of their mission statement says that they fight racism. Generally, I avoid companies that specifically say that they are fighting racism because, and I guess this is me not listening to my own advice from before, I question their motives when they say they're fighting racism because often groups that say they're fighting racism are fighting some sort of fake systemic nothingness and they're just causing more racism in their quote-unquote fight. However, this organization seems to be really great and even if I potentially might disagree with some of their stuff, some of their mission statement, which I haven't looked through, so I'm not saying that I do. But even if I would, they're still working for something good. And I think that it's it's good to work with people who are doing good work and not to not to only work with people who we agree with 100% because then we'll never work with anyone on anything. But this group is working for something really important right now. So check out the website. This is one thing from their website. They're explaining the difference between constructive versus critical ethnic studies. Quote, there are different kinds of ethnic studies. Constructive ethnic studies focuses on civic responsibility, builds inter-ethnic group understanding, exposes students to multiple political perspectives, and encourages them to develop opinions based on inquiry. In contrast, the ESMC draft uses a critical ethnic studies approach, which imposes a narrow political ideology, promotes a militant anti-Western agenda, polarizes students, divides them into victims and oppressors, and assumes predetermined answers. So if you don't want that kind of curriculum in your schools, go to the website. Again, that's calfstudies.org. There is a letter that you can sign that will, they will send to the people who are working on the curriculum. I think it's really important. Parents have quite a battle and not even all parents are fighting it. And if this is what kids are being taught in schools, it's just going to drive people apart. And California probably has the most students in the country. I don't know that for sure, but it's one of the most populous states. So it's a, it's worth, it's worth writing a letter. And in case anyone who makes curriculum is listening, I recommend two books immediately be added to the curriculum for every age. Well, really high school and above. And also for you personally, this is my book recommendation of the week. I'm going to give you two. The first is Words That Hurt, Words That Heal by Joseph Telushkin, and the second is Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. I am running out of time, so I'm not going to go into either of those two books today, but I highly recommend buying them because these are the kind of books you want to read and reread, so keep them on your shelves, and you'll learn a lot and probably think about the world a little bit differently and be entertained, so I highly recommend both of those. Thank you all so much for listening, and remember, always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!